welcome, and uh, we're in our series on Wednesday nights, kind of a mini-series, you might say, working our way into Thanksgiving, series on gratitude, and last week we looked at the 10 lepers who were healed in Luke chapter 17, and we'll be reviewing some of that material, but tonight we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, so you can turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and before we get started, I just wanted to share a little illustration I, I saw with a Peanuts comic strip, and usually it's, you can see it around Thanksgiving time, and it's a picture of Charlie Brown in the first square, and he's taking out Snoopy's Thanksgiving deal meal, meal Thanksgiving Day meal, and uh, as usual, it's a bowl of dog food, um, and Snoopy responds in the next square, dog food, dog food, that's all I get is dog food. Everybody's celebrating in the the, uh, the Thanksgiving day with all the turkey and the trimmings, and all I get is dog food. And Snoopy responds, dog food, dog food. Everybody else in the world is celebrating with turkey and all the trimmings, and because I'm a dog, I guess I got to eat this dog food. And then he looked into the bowl of dog food and had a moment of reflection and he said this, I guess it could be worse. I could be the turkey. <laughs> well, the Bible repeatedly tells us as Christians and his followers, followers of Christ, that Thanksgiving isn't just a day we celebrate once a year. It's to be a way of life. It's something that we should do each and every day. And that's why I titled this message, The Art of Thanks Living. The Art of Thanks Living. The two most Common commands throughout Scripture for believers. We said this last week. Do you remember what they were? Rejoice and give thanks. Be thankful. They're not options. These are commands. These are imperatives. Um, it's not that we're to look at our circumstances and ask the question, well, are our circumstances good enough to be joyful? Are our circumstances good enough to be thankful? That shouldn't even enter into it. We don't get a choice in this. Um, we don't base our joyfulness or our thanksgiving, our gratitude on the circumstances that surround us. It's based on the one who is living inside us. Joy and gratitude are not based supposedly on what's happening around us. It's based on the foundation of the one, the eternal one, the one who is all-powerful, the one who is all-knowing and all-loving, the one who has redeemed you, the one who has rescued you. It's in him we build our foundation of thankfulness and gratitude on. In Psalm chapter 30, verse 11 to 12, David says this. He says, you have turned my, for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, which is a sign of mourning, and, and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. See, instead of grumbling about our temporary circumstances here on earth, God says, I want you to choose because you have tasted of my grace and you have experienced my goodness. I want you to choose to be thankful. I want you to choose based upon who I am, upon my promises to, do, to you. I want you to choose to be joyful and to be thankful no matter what you're going through. And that's not easy. 
No one's here to say that's easy. It's difficult. It takes intentionality. It takes initiative. The first thing, when you get up in the morning, you ask the question, who do I belong to? What do I believe? Where am I going? What's going on around me? How am I going to live today for the glory of God? God, I need your help. I can't do it my own. Because it's not built on what? Circumstances around us. It's built upon the foundation of the one who lives within us. Last Wednesday, we looked at Luke chapter 17, and we asked the question, where are the nine? After healing the ten lepers, only one returned to say thank you. And he was teaching us, just way of review, about genuine faith and real worship. And we saw that man who returned, the one leper who came back to Jesus to say thank you, we saw that, first of all, he was unable to restrain his joyful praise. It says that he began glorifying God with a loud voice. Secondly, it says he fell on his face at Jesus' feet in worship. Thirdly, it says he gave thanks to Jesus. Those were things that signified thankfulness in his heart. And then we talked about Things in our lives or in our hearts that can strip our hearts of gratitude. And we mentioned three of those, the idea of familiarity. You know, we hear the, the phrase familiarity breeds contempt, and we tend to forget who God is. We tend to forget that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's an all-consuming fire. He's the lion of Judah. And we want to domesticate God. We want to tame God. We want him to fit within the boundaries of our familiarity so we're more comfortable with God. I said last week, in the beginning, God made us in his image. And ever since that point that in time, ever since that point in time, we've been returning the favor. We've been remaking God in the image that we want him to be. We put God in a box. The Bible says that he's holy, he's perfect, he's pure in every way. He is light, and in, in him there is no darkness whatsoever. And so we need to be reminded we should not become familiar with God. Secondly, we talked about a sense of entitlement, and that's just something that's in our culture today. Entitlement robs us of the beauty of participating in the mission of God. It will rob us of gratitude and thankfulness, um, not for what we experience, but for what we've already been given in Jesus Christ. And the way we described entitlement is basically a belief that inherently we deserve certain privileges or special treatment or special things. We have some rights that we deserve. Um, I hear sometimes, occasionally, couples saying, boy, we're going we're gonna to make great parents. We're just incredible. We love kids. We just can't wait to have children. And then they struggle with infertility or whatever, and they can't have children. And it's cause for great concern. Or you, you talk about younger people, college-age people who've stayed pure sexually and now they've lived their, <laughs> they're living their lives and they're still not married, they're still single and they're struggling. Why am I alone? I've, I've followed the rules. I've done everything right. Or I've been faithful with my finances why am I struggling with my finances? I give to the church. I help out. I do all these things. 
Why don't I deserve to have a high-paying job like my Christian friends? The short answer is you don't deserve those things. <laughs> you don't deserve those things. You're not entitled to those blessings. The only thing any of us is entitled to, because we're sinners, the only thing we deserve is God's wrath, God's judgment. Jesus is literally the only person who's ever lived on the face of the earth who's entitled to all the blessings that the Father could ever give him. He's the only one. Yet what he did was he laid down his right to have it. He laid down his comfort. He laid down his desire. He laid down his pleasures. They were all his. He had a right to them, but he laid them down for the benefit and the blessing of others. And now he says, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross and lay down your desires and lay down your privileges, lay down your pleasures for the sake of others. That's what he instructs us to do. We don't get an entitlement. And you begin to realize that, wow, none of us are entitled to be parents. None of us are entitled to have good-paying jobs. or We're not entitled to any of that. When we sense that we are entitled, we tend to focus on what we don't have rather than what we do. And that causes the lack of gratitude. And then the last thing was instant gratification. We live in a day and age where everything is given to us immediately, fast food, the whole thing. I mean, have you ever noticed in the Bible, though, in contrast to our instant gratification society we live in, in the Bible there's much waiting. God, God has people wait a very long period of times, as a matter of fact. Noah building the ark, it took a long time for the rain to come. Then once he was in the ark, it took months for him to be delivered out of that ark with all those animals, and you can just imagine what it was like in there. Or Abraham literally had to wait almost a century until him and his wife had their first child. Israel waited 400 years to be released from the slavery under Pharaoh. From the time God promised a redeemer to that very first night in Bethlehem, it was thousands of years, Israel, the Jews, God's people, had to wait thousands of years before the Savior came. I mean, you would think there's so much waiting in the Bible, you'd think it was set up on a, a military structure. In the military, they wait for everything. There's lines for everything. Well, why does God have us wait? Because waiting is part of discipleship. Waiting is how God carves us. He shapes us. He grows us as his people. On the other hand, instant gratification doesn't grow patience. It doesn't grow self-control. It doesn't grow even contentment. And it certainly does not grow gratitude or thanksgiving. One individual told me one time, well, I never, I never pray and ask God for patience. And I said, why, why not? And he goes, because that, God might just answer that prayer. And I thought, wow, what an attitude that is. See, when you refuse to wait for something, you're really hindering your ability to see how your current decisions affect your future destiny. If I can't see how my yesterday affected my today, then I'm not even going to think about how my today and the decisions I make today will affect my tomorrow. I mean, we have to think about those things. So instant gratification is not something that we 
want to practice or anticipate. But in heaven, is, there's going to be much to be thankful for. And so last week, we kind of settled on the idea that we, what Jesus is telling us, we don't have to wait until heaven to experience a heart that is filled with gratitude. So tonight we want to consider Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. And I've entitled the message, as I said, The, the Art of Thanks Living. The Art of Thanks Living. So let's read our text. You can follow along in your Bibles. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. And then we'll have a word of prayer and get started. Paul writes in verse 15, Colossians 3, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. <clears throat> and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us much to be thankful for. And Lord, I pray that it would not just be focused on one day of the year, but it would be focused on a lifestyle that each day that we would count our blessings, that we would realize that you're doing a work in and through us. And Father, you've selected us to be your children. And so Lord, we want to live lives that are honoring to you. We pray for each heart that's listening tonight, that Lord, if they do not know you as their Lord and Savior, if they've yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, in Christ alone, Lord, tonight might be the night that they cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand your word and apply it to our lives. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we looked at three things that strip our hearts of gratitude, and uh, we just kind of went over those. And tonight, um, we're going to look at four things that thanks living is fueled by. Four things that fuel a life of thanks. The first one is in verse 15. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. First thing is a rule, a heart ruled by the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ is something that's unique. It's a one-of-a-kind peace. It's not some generic peace. It's the peace of Christ, a peace that not just calms your nerves. Sometimes we want the peace of Christ often in times of trouble or tribulation. Um, this kind of peace doesn't just calm you down. This kind of peace rules your hearts. It says, let this peace rule you. The idea is let it dominate you, let it conquer you, which requires us to submit to it. See, oftentimes we just want God to come along in our time of trouble or trial and just pour a little peace in our lives. It doesn't work that way. And once we get through the trial, then, you know, we're, we're good to go. Um, there was a British preacher, Aria White, and he said this. He said, the surest sign that you are carrying a full bucket is wet feet. And that's true. If your own experience, if you've ever about washing the car and you have a full bucket of water and suds, usually your feet get wet. It spills out of the bucket. Um, we always get our feet wet. And see, when our lives are, are full of gratitude and thanksgiving, it will overflow. And what Paul is saying here is that the peace of Christ 
is there. It's full. It's, it's already there. You just need to submit to it. The peace of Christ is present in the life of those who have chosen Christ and follow him as a believer, as a follower of Christ. What Paul's doing is he's encouraging us to submit to that peace. In John chapter 14, by the way, verse 27, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. He's talking to his disciples, believers. He's saying, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. So this is his own personal peace. This is the peace of Christ. That's why I said it's unique. It's not the peace that we experience when we don't have any conflict. It has the idea of a sense of wholeness or well-being, completeness, totality, complete peace. And Jesus continues there in John 14, 27. He says, not as the world gives do I give to you. Once again, it comes from Christ himself. And then he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. It's almost like we have a choice. Why does it seem that way? Because we do. We do have a choice. You can either trust in what you see, trust in what you know, or you can trust in the one who sees all and who knows everything there is to know. See, I, I give you a little hint. When you trust in yourself, when you trust simply in you, guess what? It doesn't last too long. It doesn't last very long. It usually doesn't work out very good either. I mean, how many times do we think we're in control? We're in control of this or we're in control of that. It's a wrong perspective. It's a faulty thinking. Do you realize you have no control? So if you trust in you and yourself and you trust in what you see, guess what? You're not going to have a lot of peace. There's going to be a lot of turmoil but if you let the peace of Christ, what this verse is saying, rule you, the one who sees everything and knows everything, that peace will control you. It will control everything. But it's even more than that. It's, it's speaking of the presence of Christ. Not just his personal peace, but his actual presence. And his peace and his presence kind of go together. They're associated with one another. Back in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to uh, 26, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And guess what it says? Give you peace. Well, when it says, let the peace of Christ rule you, rule in your hearts, that word rule is a, is a sports term. It's an athletic term in the original language. It means to be an umpire or a referee. Let the peace of Christ umpire your hearts. See, here's one thing about this empire, one thing about this umpire that it's talking about here. He's always right. He doesn't make a bad call. I mean, we know what an umpire does, right? An umpire resolves conflicts, resolves disputes, keeps order on the field of play. That's what the, the role of an umpire on baseball or a referee in football or basketball one commentator, Lightfoot, says this, wherever there is conflict of motives or impulses of, or reasons, the peace of Christ must step in and decide which will prevail. See, the Colossians 
we're told earlier not to follow false teachers back in chapter 2, verse 18. And he actually says, don't fall, don't allow false teachers to act as your umpire when disputes arise what he's saying is let the peace of Christ be the empire let the peace of Christ make the call because it's never a bad call when God makes the call it's just a very incredible trust that you can have that God will take care of these things. There was a lady that was associated with Salvation Army a long time ago, and she was known as Warrior Brown. She was a rough lady, kind of a homeless lady. She had a real fiery temper, and she, she'd get drunk and become very belligerent. And One time they had a Salvation meeting, and she got saved. And the next week she was up giving her testimony, and the Lord truly saved her. I mean, her whole demeanor, everything was changed. Her whole whole personality. And she's up there sharing her testimony and somebody took a potato and chucked it at her and hit her right in the head. <laughs> Gave her a big bruise on the side of her head. And usually, this lady would, you know, she'd roll up her sleeves and go after that person and beat him to a pulp. She was a tough, tough lady. But she was converted. And so she just simply bent down, she picked up the potato and she put it in her pocket. Never said a word. Nobody ever thought anything of it. They thought, well, that's, boy, God's really changed her. And then they had, in the fall, a few months later, they had a fall festival. And here came Warrior Brown, as they called her. And uh, she brought a little sack of potatoes as an offering just to give everybody. And she explained that after the open air meeting that night, several months previous, after being hit in the head with that potato, that insulting potato, she called it, was cut up and it was planted. And now she brought what she considered the increase of God's blessing to share with everyone. See, that lady could have been very bitter, but she wasn't. She allowed the peace of Christ to umpire her life. I mean, how much misery would we avoid if we permitted the peace of Christ to umpire our hearts? How many words would we hold back if there was that peace of Christ being the arbiter in our life? How many sleepless nights would we avoid? By the way, the church needs this as well. It's not just for individuals. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you uh, or, or verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. But then it says, to which indeed you were called in one body. Speaking of the church. So this same peace that should rule and reign in our hearts as an umpire, it should rule and reign in the hearts of the church as a corporate body. And he concludes there in verse 15, he says, be thankful and he, it's a command that's repeated at the end of the, the verses 16 and 17. See, we have to begin to understand when we are carrying buckets that are full of Christ, <laughs> our lives will be bathed with the peace of God and thanksgiving. It's just overflow. The same peace that rules in our hearts as individuals is to rule within the church, the body of Christ. See, Christianity is not 
We're not called to a, long, a lone ranger uh, style of life. We're called to experience this together as the body of Christ. So when you're, you're not at peace as an individual, you can't be at peace with others. When you're not at peace, when I'm stirred up or I'm irritated, I want to make other people irritated. That's just the way it goes. When people within the church wound others within the church, most of the time they're inflicting on others the same pain that somehow they've experienced in their own lives. But what we're to understand from this is that we're to have the same harmony that the peace of Christ brings to you personally. You should have that in your local congregation, in your church. And so we have to have hearts that are ruled by the peace of Christ. Secondly, he says, a mouth filled with thankfulness to Christ. It was Jesus who said in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you have a heart that's ruled by the peace of Christ, that it's going to be connected to a mouth that's filled with gratitude and filled with thanksgiving. Those two things go together. Verse 15, he says, and be thankful. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Both of those verbs are in a tense that indicates that it's an ongoing action. It's, it's continuous. It can never stop. You might translate it, keep on becoming thankful. It's a continuous obligation that bears heavy in our hearts. Be constantly thankful ones. See, thankfulness is the constant theme throughout the book of Colossians. You see it in verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray to you. Or verse 12 of chapter 1, it says, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of the light. Or in chapter 2, verse 7, he talks about being rooted and built up in him and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We see it in our text three times, verse 15, 16, and 17. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. See, gratitude should be something that just naturally flows from a life of a believer because of all that God has done for that believer. What's interesting here in verse 15, that word thankful, it's the only place in the Bible where it's found in the original language because it's a comb combined word. It's a, it's a combination of peace and gratitude, specifically there in verse 15. And because a heart is controlled or ruled by the peace of Christ, it will be connected to a mouth that's filled with thanksgiving, with gratitude. On the, on the opposite end, on the contrary, a heart that is absent of peace, where Christ's peace is not ruling, it will be attached to a mouth that is absent of praise, absent of thanksgiving. Remember the ten lepers last week? Christ healed all of them. He had a horrible disease, leprosy. And because of that, they were ostracized in, in society. And when Christ healed them, he gave not only their health back, he gave their family back. He gave their friends back, their jobs back, their children back. And what was appalling in that story was only one of the ten returned to Jesus and said, thank you. Only one. 
I mean, wouldn't you, I was thinking this last week, wouldn't it be neat to be able to go back in time and interview the nine <laughs> that didn't come back? Knock on their door. Hey, yeah, you're, you're the guy that was one of the, the ten that Jesus uh, healed, right? Oh, yeah, 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 I was, uh, my, my life was really messed up, but he healed me, now I'm all good. Wow, you were like a dead man walking, weren't you? I mean, nobody would have anything to do with you, and no, that's right, I had no life at all. Huh, and you, 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 you didn't think it was a little odd you didn't go back and say thank you? How is that even possible? I'm sure if you interviewed those guys, Maybe one of them would say, hey, I just did what Jesus told me to do. He told me to go to the priest and get cleaned, and that's what I did. I just obeyed. Maybe some of them would say, well, you know, I meant to, but I really wanted to. But, you know, I haven't seen my family in years, ever since I got this disease. So I wanted to give my kids a hug, and, you know, I guess I just lost track of time. Or maybe one would say, you know what, I didn't know he wanted me to come back and say thanks. I mean, isn't that his job? He goes around healing people? Isn't that, why should I have to give, thank him for it? Maybe one of them said, hey, you know, I, I mean, yeah, they say he healed me, but, you know, I was also taking this new herb, and, uh, you know, so I don't know, maybe it was Jesus, maybe it was the super-duper herb I was, I was taking, maybe that cured me instead. Or maybe one would say, you know what, I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to go, go thank him. You're right, I should. I've just been a little busy, you know, I... I, you know, a lot of people are talking about this healing, and I got, got busy with the, the different news shows, and the, I'm on the circuit speaking now, and, and you know, you got to understand, this leprosy disease took a lot from my life, and now it's payback time. You know, I, I, gotta, I have opportunities because of this, and, I, and I'm going to make use of them. As a matter of fact, you know, the, the nine of us, we got this shoe deal with Nike, and, uh, you know, uh, Just Heal It is the, is the, is the uh, logo, and uh, it's going to be awesome. See, no matter what they would say, to be honest with you, no matter what they would say, it would be empty excuses. All they had to do is go back and say thank you. Well, how does that apply to us? You know, sometimes when I'm in church and leading worship, I'll look out and I see people that are not engaged. They're just, their mind's somewhere else. They're on their phone or staring off into space or wondering who's winning the game. I don't know what they're doing. They're not singing. They're not engaged at all. And I often wonder, do you understand that Christ redeemed you, that he came out of heaven for you, that he put on flesh, that he was nailed to a cross, that he paid your debt, the debt of sin that you could never pay? And as a result, now you have the very Holy Spirit of God living within you. You've been justified. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been purchased with his blood. You've been made holy in the sight of God. You have a righteousness that is not your own that comes through Christ. And not only that, but when you, life is over, he promises to be right there to usher you into eternal glory, to be with him forever and ever. Do you understand that? And you come here and sit in a chair and be somber and sorry and sour. I mean, do you think the nine were grateful? I think they were. I think they were. I, I'm sure they were. I mean, they got their whole life back. And Jesus asked that question, well, where are the other nine? 
See, what, what Jesus was showing us, it's not good enough just to feel thankful. It's not good enough. He's saying feeling thankful and giving thanks are not the same thing. They're two different things. I mean, we all feel thankful. We wake up in the morning, wow, we're alive. We get to breathe another breath of air. But do we truly give thanks each day? Feeling thankful and giving thanks are not the same thing. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, it says, Therefore, let us be grateful. Why? For receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence in all. In other words, you know, God wants us to have some intensity in our thankfulness. What if God decided today to bless you with the same intensity and measure of blessing that you offer him in worship? How would that turn out for you? I mean, we're blessed incredibly by God, and yet our response, I don't believe, is nearly as intense as his blessing. It seems that many people don't realize what they have until it's gone. And unfortunately, what you don't have typically gets the response not what you already have. It should be the other way around. When you have it, that's when we should be responding with gratitude, not whining about the things that we don't have. The intensity of our gratitude should be seen in the intensity of our response to God. See, God says it's not enough just to show up. He wants us to speak up. It's not enough just to feel thankful. He wants us to express it. That's why in, in the Psalms, all over the place, but just a couple places, Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with what? Praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Or Psalm 95, verse 2, Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So we need a, a heart that's ruled by the peace of Christ. We have to have a mouth that's filled with thankfulness to Christ. Thirdly, we have to have a church that's consumed with the word of Christ. Verse 16, look at what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, plural, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, he's not talking about individuals. He's talking about the church. It's plural. It's a very popular mindset today, even among Christians, to say, well, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I don't have any need for the local church. I don't need to go to church. I, you know, watch it on YouTube or watch whatever. I mean, you, can, you can't help read the scriptures. If you read through the New Testament in the dark with one eye closed, half asleep, you cannot miss God's mandate that the church was his idea. It's his will for every one of his children to be part of a local congregation, a local church. How could a Christian say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church? You can't say that. Jesus died for the church. So when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, he's talking about a corporate body of believers and, you know, every part of the body is important, right? Every part of the body is good. 
we would say. As long as it's connected to the body. I mean, if I cut my hand off and threw it on the floor, you'd say, gross, get that thing out of here. You don't want to see that. That's disgusting. Why? Because it's not connected. It, it, it doesn't serve any purpose any longer. I mean, hands are good if they're connected to an arm. Legs are great if they're connected to the body. Toes are even wonderful if they're connected to a foot. But if you take a hand, a leg, and a toe and disconnect it from the rest of the body, what, what happens? They have no value. They have no ability. They're worth nothing because they can't do anything. And until it's attached, it's not worth anything. And that's why God tells us here, let the word of Christ dwell in you, the corporate body, who are connected together. We're all different parts of the same body. And it's very unfortunate. We live in a society that's filled with days of disconnection. It's probably worse to disconnect yourself to a body, a local congregation, than to connect yourself to a body that's flawed. See, that's the excuse. Well, I don't agree with them over there. I don't agree with this people. I don't agree with them. You know, you're looking for the perfect church. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It's going to have issues. It's going to have problems because it's made up of sinners. And if you don't think the local church is important, my friend, then you need to throw out most of your New Testament just throw it out because that's who, Jesus, that's who Paul wrote letters to. He wrote them to churches. Colossians, Ephesians, Thessalonians, Philippians. All those are representative of churches. Well, how does the word of Christ dwell in us as a church? It tells us right there three verbs. First of all, teaching, teaching the word of God. You're called as a believer to come under the authoritative teaching of the Word of God. Secondly, to admonish, which means to warn, admonishing one another. You know, you can't be admonishing one another. You can't be warning one another if you're not around each other. And then the last thing is, he says, singing, singing praises to him. The message translation says it this way, let the word of Christ have the run of the house. <laughs> let the word of Christ have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using common sense. In the last verse it says this, last part of that verse 16, it says, and sing, sing, sing your hearts out to God. See, that should be part of our lives. A local congregation, a place where we gather for worship. And today, unfortunately, with this pandemic, you have many churches that are saying, well, we're not even going to gather at all. That's not church. That's not church. You can't have fellowship on a video call from your living room. It doesn't work that way. Well, the fourth thing not just a heart that's ruled by the peace of Christ or a mouth that's filled with thanksgiving to Christ or a church that's consumed with the word of Christ, but fourthly, a life dominated by dedication to Christ, 
a life dominated by dedication to Christ. It says in verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, doesn't matter what it is, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then look at what it says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our life should be dominated by a call to serve our Lord and Master. We should be dedicated to that cause. Now, it may look differently for different people. That's fine. One theologian said it this way, there's not one square inch of all the universe, not one square inch, over which Jesus Christ does not say, mine. And we are called as believers to live lives each day and every day lay them down before him and say, yours. <laughs> Ask the question, is thanks living the way you're living your life? Are you truly thankful for what God has and continues to do for you? I know preparing this message, God's word, God's spirit convicted me in several areas of my life. Am I truly thankful each and every day for how God has blessed me as his child? I started thinking in a couple days, a week or so, it's that time of year again. <laughs> I can't believe it's here already. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Hopefully you do. That time of year when I think if, if, if I could, if it was possible, I'd probably lose my salvation. It's impossible to lose my salvation, so um, my sanctification causes, causes cause for concern, I guess. But this time of year when we, we get the incredible privilege as husbands of decorating our homes for the holidays, for Christmas specifically. Now, let me tell you, I love Christmas. I love decorations. Growing up, our house was always decorated. Um, I began to think of it this last week, and I remember this big sign they used to put over the, the uh, overflow from the pond and eventually over the driveway, and it, it, it said, Happy Holidays. And I thought, wow, were my parents politically correct or what? Um, and they had, you know, Mickey Mouse and all these different uh, characters, Disney characters, I think, up there, or elves or whatever they were. But every year we would decorate the house, and, you know, we'd have lights in front of the, the pillars on the driveway and the snow would fall and there were the old, the old school, you know, before the LEDs, you know, and uh, the snow would fall on them and they'd melt when they'd, when they'd get warm and, boy, they would glow in the uh, melting snow. It's so beautiful. I love Christmas. I love decorating. Um, I love what it looks like when it's done. I don't really like putting up all the stuff because I know in a couple of weeks it's got to come back down. Um... I can't stand here before you and say, oh boy, I just love putting up Christmas lights. But I have to do it with thanksgiving in my heart because it tells me to do whatever I do in word or deed with thanksgiving. See, it's one thing to stand before you and preach the word of God, right? It's another thing to live it. And sometimes it's tough. It's hard sometimes when you're putting up Christmas lights that don't want to light. <laughs> That's frustrating. And I'm reminded, 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whatever you eat, 
whether you drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And besides that, it makes my wife happy. A life dominated by dedication to Christ. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Closing illustration, I remember there's a company by the name of R.R. R. Donnelly, and it was basically the, the world's most premier um, publisher and printer and distributor of uh, a lot of different products, but mainly magazines and books. And they did a very impressive thing. They, they, had, they, they put out the Encyclopedia Britannica, Time Magazine, Life Magazine, um, National Geographic. They've gone back as far as the Model T Ford promotional literature uh, catalogs. Remember the Sears Roebuck, Roebuck catalog? They put that out. They had all those kind of things. And they had this machine. It was a company outside of Chicago. And they had this machine that would send out it was an automated machine, and it would send out a notification card, apparently, when your subscription would uh, elapse or expire to let you know, hey, you've got to sign back up. And it would send out a notice to every subscriber at the appropriate time that your subscription has elapsed and you need to renew it. Well, this huge machine that did this um, had a little spring in it, <laughs> and the little spring broke. And as a result... Just that little spring in this huge machine, and this is a true story, by the way, a rancher in Colorado received 9,732 notifications that his subscription to National Ge Geographic had expired. And this poor rancher, he drove the 10 miles to town, he got the money out of his pocket, he put it in the envelope, and he put a note in there. He says, I give up. Send me the magazine, please. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that because, you know what, I think there's a lot of us today, simply, we need to give up. We need to give up. We think somehow we're in control. We want this, we deserve that. And God is saying, look, you know what, I am so much more than you can ever even know. Just trust me. Walk with me. Listen to me. Enjoy me, enjoy my word. And you know what? I promise, I promise you that I will work out everything for my glory and for your good. I promise that to you. I mean, how can you argue with that? See, this is what thanks living is all about. We can do it when we have the proper perspective when we put God in his rightful place in our lives. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you that you have abundantly blessed our lives, that our hearts are full of thanksgiving, and we can live a life of thanksgiving. Thank you that our hearts can be ruled by your peace, that our mouths can be filled with your thanksgiving and your praise. That as a church, we can be consumed and focused on the precious word of Christ and that our lives can be dedicated to serve you in whatever we do. Lord, it's been a tough year. But you know what? You've given us the grace. You've given us the wherewithal to wake up each day, put our clothes on, put our shoes on, and do what you've called us to do. And we thank you for that. 
This year hasn't been fun. I don't think it's been fun for anybody. But you know what? There's a purpose. There's a plan that you have. And Lord, we, we desire that. Lord, we pray for our country during this time of chaos, turmoil. We got COVID. We got viruses. We got mandates and shelter-in-place orders. We got elections that are unresolved. There's so much going on. And yet, Lord, you're in perfect control of all of it. You're the sovereign God who rules and reigns. And so, Father, we simply trust you. Lord, even with this election, if there's wrongdoing that's taking place, Lord, I pray that it would be revealed, that it would be obvious. People would be held accountable. Lord, we look to you to make things right. And Lord, we ask you for the grace to get through whatever the outcome may be. Father, we, we trust you. And we know that you are completely sovereign over these things. I pray for our president and vice president. And you'll give them the resolve to continue and just to uh, be able to do what you've called them to do. And Father, I pray for each one that's listening tonight that if there's one who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sin, I pray even now they would cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, I need your grace. I've been trying to deal with this sin all my life, and it's just a burden that I can no longer bear. And I'm thankful that your son is willing to bear it for me. You simply need to confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. Thank him for his gracious hand in your life and his call upon your life, his willingness to forgive your sin. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a prayer that God will answer when it's prayed from a sincere heart. We thank you, Lord. Pray that you will uh, keep us safe over the holidays, over the Thanksgiving time that Lord, pray you give people wisdom and whether they're spending time alone or with family and friends, pray that they would be safe in all they do. We thank you in Jesus' precious name, amen.